0: Well, good morning, church. So glad that you guys are here with us today. If we haven't met, my name is AJ. I get to serve here as the associate pastor. Um, so I'm excited that you're here today. If you are tuning in online, welcome. Um, back in 2017, we started this series called "How to Eat an Elephant," and um, tried to answer that question. Just as most of you saw in the video, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. So this this series um, had nothing to really do with elephants, um, as much as it did spiritual formation and spiritual disciplines. And that was a real, really kind of a new term for a lot of us. Um, We didn't really know what to think about those words when we hear discipline. It tends to have a negative connotation attached to it. But really what we're trying to do is we're trying to get more acquainted with this idea that as followers of Jesus, we should live our lives by three ways. We should be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. Jesus said something very similar he said this. It's just a lot shorter. He said, follow me. This is what this means. When we're with Jesus, we're becoming like him, and we're doing what he did. So fast forward to now. What we're doing, we we tend to bring these these topics back to our minds to remind us the importance of being formed like Christ, being formed by things like spiritual disciplines, and just being obedient to the way of Jesus. And so today, the topic we're going to talk about is not going to, when I say it, it's not going to sound like spiritual formation language like most of you have heard. It's not Sabbath. We're not talking about solitude. We're not talking about prayer. Today, we're talking about worship. And if you don't know me, you know that most of the time I'm up here leading worship. So most of you are thinking, okay, finally, he's he's spoke a few times now. Now we're getting the worship message. So, But it's not necessarily going to be what you think. Um, but today is the elephant in the room is worship. And as I was studying about this message, praying about it, just in God's Word, I'm, I'm thinking, man, I have a lot to say about the topic of worship. I have a lot to talk about. Um, and what I don't want to do today is give my opinion. Um, you know, I know a decent amount, but I don't know everything about worship. Um, it's something I've really devoted my life to. I've been able and given opportunities to lead worship for years now. But here's what I do know about worship. So I don't know everything about it, but I do know this. When worship goes right, everything else goes right, but when worship goes wrong, it's all downhill from there. And what we're going to do today, we're going to get in the word quick, so we're going to go ahead and open up to Exodus 32, and we're going to see an example of when worship goes wrong today. So Exodus 32, we're just going to read a short passage, and what I want to try and do today is just pull out a few practical things for us from this passage um, that I believe will help us, and my hope is that it'll help us um, and shape us as we move forward as a, as a church body and as the family um, that's Dublin Bible Church. So Exodus 32, um, as you're flipping there, if you say, if you're there, just say, I got it, so I know we're all there. Cool. Let me pray for us real quick before we get into this passage, um, so we can just, again, center our hearts and minds um, in the right thing this morning. So Father... Lord, we're grateful for your presence here now, and I ask that in this room, Lord, that you would fall on us, God, that you would wake us up, God, that you'd wake us up, and that we, that our eyes would be opened, not to just believe that you're here, but to know that you're here, to know that we're meeting with you today. God, as we talk about something like worship, something that can be very broad, I pray that today's teaching would be helpful. As Gracie prayed earlier, that it's not my words, Lord. It's not my opinion. But God, it's what you want us to hear. So Lord, help us today. Help us submit ourselves to you and help us be open to your will. Lord, we love you. We're grateful for you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Exodus 32. um, I'm going to just kind of take us through this. We're just going to read 1 through 10. Um, so we don't have a a lot of passages here to read uh, in this particular passage. But here we go, Exodus 32. So it says, When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So let's just pause right here. Right now, Moses is on the mountain. He's meeting with God. Okay, and the Israelites are with Aaron. So that's, that's kind of what's happening. I'll give us a little bit more background in a minute. This is the, this is the backdrop we're reading from. So Aaron, he answers them. He says, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol, cast into the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a feast to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down because your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt, have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast into the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, of Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I've seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they're a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. It's kind of intense, right? This is kind of an intense passage to read. I know you're thinking, like, where is he going with this? Where, we're talking about worship, and he's talking about a golden calf. What's happening? Well, what's happening, again, the background of this passage, you have to understand um, Exodus is, when we say the book Exodus, most of you are going to think the Exodus out of Egypt. So the background is the people of Israel have been brought out of Exodus. They've been brought out of slavery. God has brought them through the Red Sea at this point. hes And what we also see in this story is the Israelites tend to be what God calls them a stiff-necked people. They tend to be complainers. And it's really easy for us to read... The book of Exodus, and, and even this week I've been just kind of like sitting in these passages and ca- trying to get acquainted with the mindset, and I'm like, wow, like we're a lot like the Israelites sometimes, you know, like many times, so it's, it's, it's a really interesting book to read, um, but we see God do all these amazing things, and what happens? They get really impatient. They begin to lose their trust in God, and then they create this idol. So what does this passage have to do about the way we think about worship? Right, like, what does it really have to do? Well, the reason that I want to make this connection between this passage and worship is because when I say the word worship, here's what I think that you guys think of is this many times. When we say worship, we think of something similar to this. And I understand for some of you, you may have a hard time connecting with this because maybe you've never actually been in an environment like this. Maybe you're more acquainted with this. And what I'm not here to do today, I feel like I need to make myself clear on this, because um, as a worship pastor, I'm not trying to talk myself out of a job. Um, not, not my purpose up here at all. Um, I'm actually not trying to pit this against what we just experienced. Big versus small, modern versus traditional, guitars versus pianos, bands versus choirs. That's not even my heart. I think those arguments that have, have been talked about many, many times are more, they're, they're just more deeply rooted in personal opinion than they are God's word. Um, And as a worship leader, again, not trying to talk myself out of a job, I actually value what we do in the modern worship context. I think it's valuable. I've spent years developing just personal skills and crafts and a team and trying to think thoughtfully about how we view worship as a church. Hopefully, my hope would be that in the last few years, you would have been able to see just a shift in our worship of like more thoughtful songs, more thoughtful approach to how we how we sing together, and and the elements we add to us singing together. So I say all that to say that I am not against what we just saw on this screen. But I have to make a point to say, when we talk about worship in today's context, it tends to be very much, okay, worship is synonymous with the word music, which is true. So what we're going to do this morning is normally these takeaways come at the end of the the message, but we're actually going to handle them now. We're going to handle it up front and... um, So four takeaways that I believe that will help us kind of frame our understanding of worship is this. The first one is that worship is a gift to build the body up. Like, it's a gift to build the body up. There's a a verse I want us to read together. These verses are going to be on the screen for you. This one comes out of 1 Corinthians 14.26. It says, What then, brothers and sisters, whenever you come together, each one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything is to be done for building up. So what we just did together—we just sang four songs together—that is building us up. Those songs—they're—they're inspiring more faith in us. There's truth in these songs. They're rooted in the Word of God. So they're good for us to be built up on. They're good for us to remember these songs when we're in a hard time. They're—they're—it's a a tool to help build the body up. So that's your first kind of takeaway. Worship is a gift. You know, music in itself is a gift. So we're gonna. Talk about how worship, the next one, worship is supposed to be a big part of our lives. It's not just supposed to be a big part of our life. And I, I don't even like to say this, but worship is like, it's kind of all of our life. I hate how broad that is, but like every part of your life, there should be some form of worship happening in your life. And Colossians three sixteen through 17 sums that up perfectly. It says, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So whatever you do, a few week a few months ago, I taught through a passage, the exact passage, whatever you do. So it's when you're working, you're worshiping, like, when you're being a mom or a dad, you wor- like, you add worship into those things. So we don't just worship when we're here on Sunday mornings or when we go to the worship concert or whatever that looks like. It's whatever you're doing. The third one, specific to music, and I think it needs to be um, I, these words I specifically put in here, that we should worship with loud instruments and, get this, for all the Baptists in the room, and dancing. I know that's a little uncomfortable for some of you, but, like, we should worship with loud instruments and dancing. To back up my point here, Psalm 150. It says, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens, praise him for his mighty deeds, praise him according to his excellent greatness, praise him with the trumpet sound, praise him with the lute and the harp, praise him with the tambourine and what? And dance. Praise him with the strings and pipe, praise him with sounding cymbals, praise him with what? loud, crashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Now, obviously, we understand there are eardrums. We want to protect those, so we're not trying, you know, we're not advocating that we just ruin our eardrums at a young age, but we should be free. You know, this weekend, I spent Friday and Saturday, I had the opportunity to play guitar for a a worship gathering in Gray, Georgia, and it was loud, and I'm just going to say, like, sometimes you show up, it was, a, it was a youth event, it was a disciple now, and sometimes you don't know, like, what those are going to turn out to be. Sometimes kids are very timid, and they don't want to sing, but guys, these kids, like, by last night, they were dancing. And I was like, this is amazing, this is like what, I, this is what I imagine it's probably going to be like in heaven. People free, you know, it's not, it's not reserved, it's not just us standing still, it's freedom, because we're in the presence of Jesus, and because, not because the band's killing it, because we love Jesus. There's a difference in those things because we are excited to be here and we love Jesus. So the fourth thing is this, that we should worship with excellence. Um, Psalm 33, 3 is a perfect verse to back this up. It says, sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. If you ask anybody on this worship team that serves here week in and week out, you're going to hear, hey, look, we want to be excellent. We want to always put, up, put forth our best. It's not because we want to be prideful about it, but because we actually believe this, that we, whatever we do, we should do it with excellence. If you're a volunteer here, you know our core values. One of them is excellence in everything. Worship should be done with excellence. So it should be loud at times. Sometimes we can be quiet. Sometimes worship is just you being still before God. That's worship as well. Sometimes you need to dance before God. Some of you need a little bit more freedom in your life. Some of you need maybe a little bit more reservation. But it all needs to be done with excellence. And when we talk about worship, and again, thinking about the context that I showed earlier with the picture, we need to ask ourselves this question here. The tension today is this question. Are we becoming people that worship the living God, or are we becoming people that worship worship itself? I think that's a very important question for us, especially for our generation today. Right now, I don't know how many of you are like music people and you keep up with what's going on. And I don't. This isn't a, a sermon about music, so let me just put that out. But it's hard to talk about worship and not mention it. So right now, the modern worship scene, the modern worship, just the the air that we breathe, everything is kind of wrapped up in modern worship. That's kind of a new thing. It wasn't always like that, and it can be very easily. It can be very easy to get caught up in in the new things that are happening. And sometimes I just have to ask, okay, are we actually worshiping and realizing that we're like devoting our attention to the living God or are we worshiping worship itself like when you show up here what are you doing when we're singing are you just like I really like this or are you recognizing like no God's presence is here with us so it's just a question for us to, to kind of wrestle with and add some tension it's great that we have amazing songs we sing um, we have these moments of worship that we really feel something. And that's not wrong. I, that's a good thing. Music is a motive. We should feel things when, we're, when we hear good music. Um, but the question we need to ask ourselves is, are we becoming people that worship the living God or becoming people that worship worship itself? Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew fifteen eight, And he's quoting the prophet Isaiah here, but he says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So again, having a band, talented musicians, good worship leaders, whatever it looks like in that context, that's great. We should be able to empower people to serve in their giftings. Like, I want to be able to raise up all kinds of volunteers here in the right places that are using their giftings. But we just need to do it in the right way that give us a good and complete understanding of what true worship is. There's a guy, his name is Jeremy Riddle. He's been a worship leader for years, Uh, heavily influenced my life in a lot of ways. But he wrote a book this year. Um, it's kind of like after COVID happened. It was a perfect time, and the name of the book is called The Reset. Obviously, you'll understand why that is a good name for after COVID, because I feel like that's what we all wanted to do and needed to do. But he wrote this book, and I tend to try and read a lot. Um, I can read. I just don't read all the time. It's something that I try and do, though. I feel like, you know, if you want to be a good leader, you've got to be a good reader. So I picked this book up. And I'm like, okay, it's a worship book. I probably should read that, given just everything that's happening in the church now. And this book, I'll be honest, it just kind of rocked my world. I really wasn't sure what to expect from it, but it rocked my world. And he has a couple of just really good things to say about worship. So I want to read a, just a few things from, from Riddle today about what he says about worship. And the first thing he says is, Pure worship will always be the most powerful kind, and it will always expose lesser offerings. It'll always be the most powerful kind and expose lesser offerings. He goes on to say, so how do you recover something's original vibrancy and power? You often have to reduce it back to its raw organic beginnings. One of the most beautiful things you'll discover in this reduction process is that the power of worship isn't connected to any of the trappings that we surround it with. It doesn't stem from any of the things we typically add to it. So I think what he's saying is this, like we can have... The best bands. We can have the best lights and the best tech and the best buildings and the most organized kids' ministry and the most, every, like you can have the coolest whatever that is. And that doesn't make worship more powerful. It just doesn't. He finishes by saying this Worship will never get more powerful the more things you add to it because its power has never flowed from its form, its power has always flowed from His presence. Did you know that it's possible for us as people to idolize worship, for us to show up? And what that practically looks like is this. It, it means you show up and you, you just value the time of singing together over the time of teaching. That, that can easily fall into just idolizing worship. I just really like it when we sing together. I don't really get so much out of the sermon, but, man, when we sing together, it just I, I really like that. Like, They're both important. One can't be more important than the other because they're both valuable. It could look like this. If, if you are somebody like for me, I keep up with the new things that are coming out in the, in the music world. I can very easily fall into the trap of just wanting to listen to that new whatever worship band that they put out over just spending time with the Word of God. Just because the music makes me feel good, it's easy, I can listen to it in the car, and like this takes time for me to be still. And I'm not saying you can't listen to music while you're reading the Bible. I think that could be very helpful, and all of that is great, but when we prioritize the music or just singing together or these worship gatherings or whatever it may be over actual recognizing there's the presence here, we have a problem. We're idolizing worship, and we just have to realize what is happening to us. So Last year, I mean, we're all acquainted with what happened with COVID. We spent few weeks apart from each other. And in that few weeks, I this message to you is is almost more confessional than anything. So I'm not necessarily preaching at you. I'm, I'm kind of telling you about what's real for me and what's been real for me. And this is more confessional than anything. But in that time of us being separate, you know, every week we would break down in my house and we'd record services and we put all this stuff together. And um, when we came back, we kind of struggled to put together what we had before, like we had lost some stuff, we lost our, a decent portion of our band, and it was hard, it was hard as a worship leader to look around and say what are, people are asking, what are you going to do, and like my honest answer was this, I, I don't know what we're going to do, like I don't, I'm going to have faith, I guess, and, and hope that we're able to get back to what we had quickly, um, and then we had to go to acoustic sets for a while, you know, and I, I understand it's not everyone's favorite, um, but here's the thing. Even in that mindset of like, huh, it's you know, it's it's acoustic. And it was acoustic during house church too. What I was doing was I was sitting there just having this consumer mindset. I was watching all these friends that were in other places of the country and we would text each other every Sunday when our, our live streams would show and just be like, Man, that was so great. That was what you guys did with this song was so great, or man, that camera work was so good, that was awesome. I don't remember actually connecting with God too much in that time. I remember consuming a lot. I remember putting out a lot of spiritual things, but me personally, I just don't remember, like, having this real connection with, like, recognizing, okay, but we're doing this, and it's connected to a person. It's, we were just putting things out and hoping that, hey, listen, that this is hard for people, and we're hoping that you guys connect to it. Um, And so that's that's a real question for you to ask, hey, in those times of being alone, in those times when it's hard, did we press in? Or did we complain and just kind of check out? Did we just consume? For me, many times, like, it was hard to press in. And I hope for you that you press in that you're like, no, I really got a lot out of those. Like, that, that's my prayer because that was our prayer is that everybody is, like, able to press in. But for me, it's like I can look back and say I kind of did some complaining and I kind of did some, you know, just looking around, kind of being like Israel, kind of being stiff-necked and saying, man, I really wish we had what we used to have. And, and missing the point that, like, worship isn't about what we can add to it. Worship is about being in awe of God's presence and wanting more of that. So Exodus 32, back to the passage. It shows us about idol worship, clearly, but it also shows us this. It shows us there's a leadership issue as well. And a lot of you, when you hear a leadership issue, you're like, I'm not a leader. I don't get that, but you'll understand what I'm talking about here. So we see Aaron, you know, the people come to him, they're complaining, and he, instead of saying, hey, listen, God, what would you want to do? He says, hey, guys, what are going to make you happy? You guys want to stop complaining? I'll do what makes you happy. We see Aaron make a decision based on what would make people happy versus what would please God. And the Israelites, they want an idol. They want something tangible. They want something they can hold on to and look to. So this is what's happening, and, and it reminded me of this. as a, I'm, I'm learning, so I have two kids, a three-year-old and a one-year-old. Pray for us. Uh, we love our kids. We need lots and lots of prayer. But something I've learned about parenting, and I haven't been doing it that long, but I've learned that, you know, our kids take on a lot from us. They take on good stuff, they take on bad stuff. You don't mean to give them the bad stuff, it just kinda happens, and then you look and you're like, Oh, that's me. Okay. So Izzy, my three year old, I love her to death. Like she's she's amazing. But I've learned something about Izzy. Izzy is like her dad. And Izzy loves bluebell ice cream. She loves homemade vanilla bluebell ice cream. I haven't introduced her to chocolate syrup yet, but it's coming. Um, so I'm just going to kind of confess it here, put it out on the table. I told you this was confessional message for me. Um, I can't have that stuff in the house. Like, I, I just can't bring it in. Like, I can't. I used to, you know, go to Kroger and be like, oh, half gallon, okay, but half gallon would be gone in like four days. Like, that's just not, that's not a, good rhythm to have, you know, so I just stopped buying it, but then I got smart, because we had some friends come over, they brought their kids, and I was like, I want to be the cool dad, so I found the little tiny packs that Bluebell puts out, they're just little tiny ice creams, and I was like, I'll buy that for the kids, everybody will be happy, well, it's kind of been a thing, and I feel bad, I feel better now, because it's like the portion, it's not so much that ice cream is bad for us, it's that the portion is bad for us, right, so we live at our parents' house, and we ask for ice cream, they give you like two scoops, two measly scoops, sorry mom, Uh, but Two measly scoops. Then you move out, and you're like, you get like four scoops or five scoops. And um, so now, what I've done is I, I buy these twelve packs, and it's it's good for portion control. You kind of like fix the sweet tooth, and you're good. But what's interesting is Izzy thinks she deserves one after like every meal now. She wants one after literally every meal. The other day, we're eating grits for breakfast, and she was like, "Can I have ice cream now?" And I was like, "No." For one, that's really gross. Second of all, it's it's breakfast. You're not going to eat ice cream after breakfast. So my point is this. I wouldn't be a very good dad if I just let Izzy eat ice cream whenever she wanted ice cream. And she wants ice cream all the time. It's the same with being a leader, whether it's a leader in your home or a leader in the church. Good spiritual leaders, I would say good leaders, don't ask themselves always what makes the people happy. They ask themselves what would make God happy. Good spiritual leaders don't ask themselves what pleases the people. They're after what pleases the Father. And let me be honest with you, every person that leads, especially in the church, is tempted with the same thing Aaron is tempted with. They're tempted to make the people happy. This is why Pastor Chad, myself, our elders, our deacons, our teams, our our, our, our ministry team leaders, we need your prayers, because this is always like it's always kind of dangling in front of us, like, well, what would make the people happy? What would they like? And, and sometimes, let me just be honest with you, and I don't, I don't want to sound harsh, because, again, this isn't me coming down on you. It's not about what makes us happy as people. It's about what makes the, the Father's heart happy, what makes him happy, what pleases him. And this is where we see things go wrong. So when the leaders don't lead, when they are off, everything else flows from that place. So good spiritual leaders don't ask themselves what pleases the people they're after, what pleases the father so i've kind of put a lot on us this morning and you may be thinking wow like uh, he just seems to not like he's kind of mad i'm not mad at all i just i want us to get this because i think there's something really important for us here and the question i have to ask is like what can we do to move forward so i've given us a lot of information a lot of things to chew on and i believe for us to move forward we have to we have to go back we have to go back in order to move forward we have to go back and look at what we've done and what we can do to make it better in the future and we need to come to the realization of this richard foster says this in his book he says god is actively seeking worshipers so let's just come to the conclusion that worship is good and god wants worshipers but in john four twenty three, jesus says this but an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the father in what spirit and in truth yes the father wants such people to worship him god is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth When we worship in spirit and truth and we understand what that means, then worship no longer begins when the worship set begins and ends with the music. That it no longer ends and begins with the music. It begins with holy expectation. For those of you that were here for that series, a series or two ago, we had this whole it was about a seven or eight week just series about how do we grow and being expectant for God to do great things. So it begins in holy expectation. It also ends in obedience and submission. I will say this. If you come into this room and you sing these songs and you listen to these things and you're worshiping and then you walk out and your life looks nothing like it did before, then you haven't really worshiped. That's not real worship because worship ends in obedience. It ends in submission to a spirit. So how do we get this right? We get it right when worship, again, it leads to obedience or it leads to service. So I'll say this: If Jesus is Lord of our lives, then worship it has to have priority in our lives. Some of you, like I've I've seen us, I know our I know our church well enough to know that some of you you do connect more to the teaching than the music side of things, and that's fine. Like we all have differences of just personalities and whatnot, but worship needs to have a place in every believer's life. It needs to have a place in your life. I'm not saying you need to go to every concert, or just jump up and down and worship, or sing as loud as you can. That'll never happen for some of you. But worship, outside of music, needs to be a priority in our lives. Think about this, Mark 12, 30. It says, love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That is worship when we do this. We love the Lord with all of our heart. So that could look like just, look, your spouse or friend has a rough day. They need it. They need someone to talk to that you sit down and you honor time with them and you listen to them. That's worship. That's honoring to the person. It's honoring to God. It's, look, it's, it's taking care of yourself. You, you, you want to love the Lord God with all your soul? Then rest. Then rest. That's how you do that. With all your strength. It's with everything in you. Like everything that has breath, praise the Lord. So it doesn't just look like singing together. It's it's talking about us ending in service to God. It ends in obedience, in a response. Foster also says that today God is calling his church back to worship. It's as if God is saying, I want the hearts of my people back. And if we love to go where God is going and do what God is doing, we will move into deeper and more authentic worship. I love that. We'll move into deeper and more authentic worship. We'll get it. We'll move towards it. That worship, again, it won't begin when the singing is, begins and ends when it stops. But it begins in true expectation. True worship happens when we show up to this place on Sunday mornings believing that God is here. It's, it's not just believing that God is his omnipresence, but believing in the manifest presence too. It's believing in both. And it's, it's showing up expecting God to move. I think some of some of the times um, I've wrestled at times with this idea, um, hearing God do incredible, extraordinary things in other places, and i I've just n- never personally experienced it many times, um, not in, not in what things I've read, and I often wonder to myself, why, why there? Like, why not here? like i' I'm, I'm hungry for this. I, I want to see it. why, when will we see it? you know? And we have to be careful with that mindset, too, because that, again, like we can so become focused on worship, we can so become focused on just God doing things. And really, all of these things come down to this. We have a problem when we focus on the gifts and not the giver. We have a problem when we focus on the gifts and what God can do for us, what he can do um, in our lives and in our marriages or whatever that looks like, and not the giver himself. So practically, that could look like, look, we show up on Sundays and, and... you say, like, well, yeah, God was there, but, man, we had an acoustic set today. Like, that's, that's focusing on the gifts, not the giver. It's focusing on the external, not the internal. God looks at the internal, not the external. You see, we want, and I say we, and this is me too, this is I want the big, the loud, the flashy, the popular. I want to see the new. And God's just looking for that alabaster jar. You know that passage? where the lady gives all she has, that's not big and flashy. That's, that's surrender. God, we're looking for the new, and God is wanting to do something new. Sometimes we have to, we have to put all of those other things to, to death. We have to get away from that thought of, we want the big and the flashy. Because we have a father who gives good gifts. We have a father who gives good gifts, but more than anything, more than he wants to give you good gifts, he wants your heart, and he wants you to surrender to him. He wants you to get this. So when's the last time, just a question, don't answer out loud, when's the last time that you can honestly say, I have been hungry or starving for God's presence? When you show up here, just in your life. And there's a difference in, let me say this too, there's a difference in being hungry and starving. I, I could probably look around the room and say, very few of us, if any of us, have ever truly really been starving before. I've been hungry. Hungry is like, man, I could, I could eat. Starving is like, I'm not going to make it without this. I think when it comes to being a worshipful people, we have to become people that are starving for the presence of God. Believing, trusting. When we show up here on Sunday mornings, this isn't about a 30-minute thir- like time of singing, an hour time of teaching, whatever that is. It's about, man, God was there and we are changed because of it. That's what it comes down to. So question for you, just when's the last time you've even entered here hungry for God's presence, believing he was here, believing that he could change us, believing he could change you? I share this not because I want you to feel guilty. Like, if you feel some conviction, that's not me. That's the Spirit. I'm not putting guilt on anyone. This has been something that's been burning in me for a long time. This is a question I have to ask myself because... I, I live and breathe singing and, and creating songs that we sing together and putting together these things. So I actually have to remind myself to be hungry because it's, it's deceiving. I could think I'm doing the church work every week. I live and breathe this stuff. It's, it's the conversation at our dinner table. It's the conversation with my friends. I have to remind myself that it's not about putting on services anymore. This is about the presence of God and do we want it? Do we want it? So I share this message because I think if we got it, it could really change everything for us. I think a service would feel different. A service could look like you. You, that morning, you got up a little early. You, you went to bed early on Saturday night. You know, like you, you got your sleep, and then you woke up early, and you began to pray for the people in this service. And you began to pray, God, would you do something amazing? Would you pray that people would get saved today? Would you pray that people would, would have a reforming of their heart today? And then when you show up in the doors and you come in, you're prayed up. So when we sing together and you're, you're singing and you look over and you see that person, they, they can't seem to, to get there. Maybe they're crying or they're, they're just having a hard time. You begin to pray for them and intercede on their behalf. They're encouraged. That, that's what the church looks like. The church was never meant to look, sadly, like what we have created it to be today. The early church was never built on amazing worship teams, the best buildings, the best technology The best teaching at times, like, it's not about the best personalities. And sadly, we we tend to make, we tend to only want to, like, experience those things. The early church was built on Acts 2.42, and I just want to read that for us, and it's going to be on the screen for us. But let's read this together, and in view of today's church and this church, let's just see the difference. It says this, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. That is the church. This is the picture of the church. What we have today is great. Like, I'm thankful for it. I'm glad that we can sit in this room today and have AC, and we can sit in this room and it covers us when it rains. I'm glad that we have uh, talented musicians and people that care and they want to have great services. When we become fixated on those things, or we have a hard time, we say, we, I just have a hard time worshiping when we, when we don't have this or that, or I have a hard time going to that church because it just doesn't do this, like, are we focusing on the gifts or the giver? Are we focusing on his presence or what, what we like? And that's, that's kind of the heart of today's message, is it's kind of a hard message. I, I don't feel like I've brought too many difficult messages for us to digest, but today I feel like is a real could be one of those days where it's like, hey, if we did this, if we really prayed and like began to ask the Lord, hey, would you change us? Would you change my heart on this? Like, do you realize this place could look completely different? Not that we are going to, hear me out, we're not reverting back and taking away the band or anything like, no, what we're doing, though, is I want us to refine what that looks like, to have a good, solid understanding of true worship, worship in spirit and in truth. So my heart for us today is for us to wake up, is to wake up and become aware that, look, God is present with you now, like his presence is here with us now, and it's with you when you leave, and to become awake to that. We just need to step into it. You know, everything that Jesus paid for on the cross is available to you today, that we just need to step into it. Many times we're afraid to step into it. And sometimes we just need to confess and repent and say, God, I'm sorry, I've gotten this wrong. So before we take communion, I want us to take just a moment, I want to share a story. Some of you in the room are going to know this story. I may have shared it before, but back in the 1990s, there was a church um, in England um, that was beginning to see a lot of growth. They were beginning to to grow up. And, um, and grow up and grow out, and there was a lot of things happening. And the leader, the worship leader at that time, his name is Matt Redman. Many of you, if you listen to Christian radio or you maybe have been to some events or whatever, you may have he- heard or seen Matt Redmond. He's written some of the most popular songs, and he'll go down in history as one of the most influential writers in the worship movement. Um, so what was happening was Matt Redmond was starting to blow up as an artist, but he was also on staff as a worship leader. And the pastor at that time, his name is Mike Pilavachi, really interesting guy, and he began to kind of just observe what was happening. Music was starting to, to blow up, and the church was seeing a lot of growth, and what he did was a really bold move. He said, okay, so things are growing, and we're, we need to really understand why we're doing what we're doing. So what they did was they took away music for a season. They said, we're just not going to have, like, we're not going to have a band, we're not going to have a team, we're not going to do any of that. And for like a season, for like six months, they didn't have corporate worship, which is kind of weird when you think about what we expect when we show up to church. Like that—that's a. It's not just a good part; it's an important part. And what happened is he began to people really understood worship. They began to really grasp it, and so they began to see deeper devotion. And what happened is Redman started writing this song one day, and. When you understand the context of what was happening, the song he was writing at that time was the heart of worship. Classic worship song. We still sing it occasionally now, like it's old, but it's one of those that I hear and I'm just like it's still bring me to tears, you know. And the words are when the music fades and all is slipped away, all is stripped away, and I simply come. It's a it's a beautiful song to just hear on its own, but when you know what was happening and you realize that no, the music really was stripped away, and they just simply came. They were just simply hungry for the presence of the Lord. The song means so much. And I'm always inspired when I hear that story because I'm thinking, for one, for a pastor to make that kind of move and just say, no more music, like that, that's a hard decision. That's a real hard decision to make because you're looking and you're like, some people aren't going to like this. and But they got it. They got it. And now that song, I believe, is probably one of the most important worship songs that we've ever heard, and it'll go down as one of the best worship songs ever. Um, and that... They really got it. So today, my encouragement to you is, like, can we just go back to the heart of worship? Can we just get what that means? Like, to just strip everything away for a moment. I, I was even planning this. I was like, what if today, like, we just did one song, and then I taught, and then we just had, like, a worship set at the end. Like, how cool would that be? And I'm like, I think I'm missing the point here. I think I'm teaching and, like, missing the whole point of the sermon. So today, we're not going to do that. What we're going to do is we're, we're going to just kind of take a moment for you to just pray And just confess some stuff. Like really ask, ask yourself, okay, when is the last time that I've been hungry for the the presence of God? That I've really wanted it. Like, really wanted it. Not just showing up because it's Sunday, but like I wanted to be there. I wanted to to meet with God. And then we're going to take communion together, and then we'll we'll be done. But just for a moment, I just invite you to close your eyes and ask yourself that question. When's the last time that I have been hungry? For God, that I felt the need for him, that I've wanted to be near him. Scripture says when we draw near to him, that he will draw near to us. He doesn't play games with us. He doesn't play hide and seek with us. If we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. Lord, would you show us, show us where we've been wrong, Lord. Show us where we've missed you. Lord, we we have to, we have to get this. Because we're nothing without you. We can add We can add so many great things to these services. And they mean nothing if we didn't meet with you. So Lord, my prayer is that every heart in the room and every person watching online, God, that you would speak to them and that you'd begin to do a work in them that only you can do. That you'd reform our hearts back to you. That you'd strip away all the things that we, we've added and we've tried to make you better and all we've needed is just you. Lord, my prayer today that as we leave this room, as we leave this service, the lights are turned off, and the doors are locked, Lord, that we would leave and be reminded that we met with you today. We're so in need of your grace and your mercy, Jesus. So in this moment of just taking the bread and the cup, Lord, would you remind us why we do this? To remember God, to give thanks for your body that was broken, your blood that was shed on the cross. It's in your name we pray. Amen.